Father, thank you for um, the opportunity that we've had already to come with confidence before your throne of grace, to know that you are, um, that you care, but you're also delighted when we um, lift up our voices to you and we express from the, not just with our minds, but deep within our souls, the reality of who you are, and we sing it back to you, and we sing it to one another. We're, we sing to one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs and making melody in our hearts to you, the Lord. So thank you for that opportunity this morning, Father. And thank you for um, that relationship that is secured for us because of Jesus. And we are so grateful, Father, that our stance before you is rock solid because of Jesus, that you look at us right now, this very moment, those of us who have trusted you as our personal Savior, you look at us through the righteousness of your Son. We have been declared right. We have been welcomed with open arms in your presence, and it's all because of Jesus. And, and so thank you, Father, for the standing that we had this morning. Even though this week we have not perfectly lived, even though, Father, we no doubt at many times have disappointed you and even violated your commandments, yet for some reason and somehow because of what Jesus has done for us, we stand before you faultless. And yet, Father, you woo us and you desire us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And so I pray, Father, that this morning is a time for renewal of that. And we come, Lord, to you and to express our thanksgiving and then our, our, our desire, Father, to, to walk humbly with you. And as this new week uh, is on us, uh, that, uh, Father, we would um, honor you with our attitudes, our words, our actions, as we draw upon the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish that in and through us. May we be like this Psalm 119 that we have been memorizing, Lord, and, and looking at and reading. May we keep our way pure, Father, before you by keeping it according to your word. May this week, Father, um, may our hearts not wander from your commandments. May we seek you. Early in the morning, we will seek you, Father. All throughout the day, may our, our eyes be heavenward. May we pray without ceasing as we um, seek to honor you with our life. Help us not to wander from your commandments. May we take your word, Father, and treasure it in our hearts. Hide it in our hearts, Father, that we would not sin against you. That our life would be lived in a way that uh, we can say, Blessed are you, O Lord. Continue to teach us your statutes so that with our lips we can tell of uh, your ordinances, that we can rejoice in the way of your testimonies, that we can, we can view your word and the riches of your grace like, um, like fine riches, much more than that, in fact. And may we live our life this week meditating on your, your precepts, carefully regarding your ways and delighting in you. Thank you, Father, for what you will do um, in our life as we continue to worship you. May we be attentive, Father, to your spirit as we open up your word now, as we consider what you would have us do in light of uh, your word, the truth. In Christ's name I pray these things. Amen. One of the um, great uh, blessings to be a part of a, a church like Fellowship Bible Church that God has opened up doors for us to minister around the world is that we get to personally um, hear those stories like on our missions, our global uh, church week that is now upon us. And thank you to the over 40 folks that are from uh, different places of the world and India and Africa and Latin America, all around the world who have made the effort to be with us. Uh, they are part of our family we're a part of their family, and it's just a, each uh, time we can gather like this, it is such a, an encouragement to us. 
So folks from different parts of the world, thank you for being here because you bless us and you enrich our lives as a church, and we deeply, deeply appreciate it. And we, as we partner with uh, uh, our folks from around the world, it gives us also opportunities to connect our resources with their ministry needs. And uh, so all throughout uh, this missions week and throughout uh, uh, next weekend and, and even on into the next couple of weeks, would you pre- please pray about uh, some of the projects that we uh, would like to especially put a little focus on and above and beyond your normal giving we will ask you would you be willing to assist in these translation projects that we're listing here the opportunities to further discipleship Uh, one of our very own uh, joel and rachel mcmanigal are heading off next year to thailand as they um, begin their ministry of training leaders there and they need some startup funds so uh, i guess what i'm asking is go home and pray that if uh, God has blessed you above and beyond, give, uh, give to FBC Missions uh, over the next couple of weeks, and it'll go for these special projects. And here's how you can do it. You go to our website, fbcva.life, and to the Global Church link, and there's a, a link there for online giving. And you just go there and give it online, and it, it will direct it right to um, these projects, these special projects. Or you can give a, a check make it out to Fellowship Bible Church and just put on the memo line missions project and we'll make sure it gets uh, properly um, coded um, that way. So these are opportunities that we have uh, this week as well as some fun times has already been mentioned. I don't know if, you, if you've ever played soccer with a Nigerian, with an Ecuadorian and someone from India. Well, you can Tuesday night, uh, sports night. Just come to the Sportsplex over there. I don't even know what the address is, but look it up. It's over here, you know or wherever it is. My wife says I'm directionally challenged, so it's, it's somewhere over there. Uh, or or uh, Thursday night, light up the night, join us at Quarles Elementary School as a possibility, or Friday night here, the family night. Uh, just opportunities to connect with our folks uh, from around the world. Let me pray, and then we're going to open up the Scriptures. Father, thank you for the opportunities now before us to listen to you. I pray, Lord, that... Uh, as we go into your word, that we would be attentive to your Holy Spirit. Um, Teach us, Father, your heart and your ways, and then transform us, the renewing of our mind, that we can prove what your will is, that which is good and perfect and acceptable. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You know, as as a grandparent, you get to, you get to say things sometimes that, um, can rattle the little grandkids just for shock value. You know, you can just say some things. Um, I've been able to do that the last couple of weeks. I'm doing this uh, every four or five years. I got to do this precancerous skin treatment, you know, so they burn off my skin here. And my little grandkids look at me and they say, and, and they're so honest, you know, they look at me and say, Grandpa, what's the matter with your face? You know, it's all burned up here. And what's the matter with your face, Grandpa? Well, it, Quite frankly, it's just too hard to explain to a four-year-old and a five-year-old and a six-year-old. Well, you see, I grew up on a farm, and, you know, I was a farmer, you know, then I didn't have sunscreen, and so years later, you know, the cells that are damaged, you've got to get this cream, and you've got to burn the stuff off and all this. It's just not worth explaining that. What's the matter with your face, Grandpa? So you shock them by saying, this is what happens to you when you don't eat your broccoli. <laughs> That's, you know, it's shocking. Jesus said a lot of shocking statements. Of course, they were always true. (laughs) Jesus said a lot of shocking statements to his disciples. The night before he was crucified, he's in the upper room with his disciples. And one of the most shocking statements, he said, is recorded in John 14, verse 12, when he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also and greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. The works I do, he will do, and greater works. I mean, we're talking about Jesus. He turned water into wine, right? He fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. He walked on the water. He healed a, a man who'd been born blind. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And now, shockingly, he tells his disciples, the works I do, you will do also. In fact, greater works 
you will do. And notice he says, this is just not for some super-duper spiritual preacher or missionary. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works I do, he will do also in greater works than these. Any believer in Jesus Christ has this capacity to do the works of Jesus and greater works. What was Jesus meaning by this? It's a true statement from the lips of Jesus. Anyone can do his works and greater. But was he referring to these miraculous powers and events? I don't think so. If you look at the context, open your Bibles to John chapter 14. Let's take a look at that real briefly. John chapter 14 and in verse 8, he's having this conversation with the disciples. He's just told them he's going to go and prepare a place for them. He's leaving them. And Philip asks him in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Just show us the Father. And Jesus in verse 9 responds and says, Have I been so long with you and yet you've not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? He's saying, look, I've been here. That's, that's what I've been doing. Verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does His works. So believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. What is Jesus saying? He said, I've come to do this work of explaining to you the Father. Have you so long been with me and you haven't gotten that? You've seen me, you've seen the Father, because that's my work, is to reveal the Father. In John's prologue, in the first chapter of John, he said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But then in verse 14, he said, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, we saw His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and uh, truth and grace. And then in verse 18 he adds, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. The work of Jesus was to bring glory to the Father, was to reveal the Father. This is God as He walked among us. No man had seen God at any time, but Jesus came and revealed Him, explained Him to us. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. At the very end of Jesus' life, in that upper room discourse, this is what he prayed in John 17, verse 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you've given me to do. And now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And then he said in verse 6, I have manifested your name. I have, I've declared it to the men whom you've given me out of this world. This was the work of Jesus. He said at the end of chapter 17, O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them. And will make it known so that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. This was his calling, to manifest the Father, to declare the glory of God who so loved the world that in his love he sent his son, Jesus, who came and died for sins, to pay the penalty, to rise again, to offer a free gift of eternal life to all who believe. This is the the glory of the Father. Jesus' work was to reveal that God who gives eternal life to all who know Him. Now, back in chapter 14, verse 12 again, Jesus is promising that those who believe in Him, the works I do, they'll do also. The work of declaring the glory of God. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, of 
proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his glorious light. These works that I do as I walk this earth, you'll do also, declaring the glory of God, making him known to the world. That is the work of God. And then Jesus says, and greater works. You'll even have a greater impact of declaring the glory of God. Why? Well, two verses later, in chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. You will do greater works. Why? Because I'm going to go back to the Father, and we're going to send you the Holy Spirit who will be in you and work out these things in his strength and his power. Ordinary people taking this extraordinary message of a glorious God doing the greater work in the world. And how is that greater work going to actually take place? How is it going to happen? What's the strategy? What's the game plan? Well, 40 days after Jesus died and rose again, 40 days later as he's about to ascend back into heaven, he gathers his disciples together and he gives them this commission recorded in Mark chapter 16. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Make it known, this good news that God so loved the world, the greatness of God. Glorify his name by proclaiming the good news of a glorious God who loved the world and sent his son. But the Great Commission continues. As you're going and proclaiming that good news, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe, to obey all that I've commanded you. You see, the greater work just doesn't end when the good news, what God has proclaimed, what God has provided for us, is proclaimed. The greater work involves helping people understand everything that God has taught, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Disciple-making involves not just leading people to Christ. Disciple-making involves helping people grow in Christ-likeness, maturing in their faith, deepening their experience of God. So he becomes much more than a word. He becomes living life to grow as a disciple. If you were here last week, Don Denhartog preached a powerful message on that, that we are not just about knowing truth, facts, but it's, it's putting that into practice. It's seeing how it's applied in our life. This is the great commission that Jesus said. This is the greater works. Share the good news, but yet strengthen people in their faith. Deepen their love for God. Deepen their commitment to live a life of obedience. It was the command to make spiritually vibrant followers of Jesus Christ. And the means of that fulfills the greater works. Now, as you look at the early church, we flip over some pages and on the book of Acts, Jesus has ascended to heaven. There's the church, the gathered together. What do we see happening? Peter preaches a sermon on the day of Pentecost, chapter 2, verse 41. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day they were added about 3,000 souls. Check the gospel accounts out. I don't see Jesus doing that. Or the next chapter, chapter 4. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. The greater works were happening. If you looked at um, the spread of Christianity in the first three um, centuries, you would see that as these pockets of believers begin to move throughout the Roman Empire in the first century, then on into the second and into the third century, it begins to grow and grow and grow. The name of Christ, the glory of God is being spread around the known world. Greater works were taking place. But remember, Jesus said, Go and make disciples and teach them to observe 
all that I've commanded. People coming to faith in Christ, but the greater works also involve the deepening of their walk, of their heart for God, of their understanding of God. And so as the churches were being started, as we look through the book of Acts, we see something else taking place. This great commission being fulfilled as churches were not just started, but they were strengthened, they were established, that people were walking more deeply with their God, they were understanding who He was. Real life was taking place and transformational change was taking place. And so you read a passage like Acts chapter 14, after they had preached the gospel of that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. What were they doing? Strengthening the souls of the disciples. They were encouraging them to continue in the faith, encouraging them to observe all that Jesus had commanded, helping them deepen their faith and their understanding of God and His glory. In the next chapter we read, after some days Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord. Let's see how they are. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, doing what? Strengthening the churches, deepening their walk of faith, their dependency on a glorious God. Or the very next chapter. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. And so the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. See, God's plan is not just to proclaim this good news that our sins have been paid for, that Jesus took our sin upon himself, that he died in our place to offer anyone the free gift of eternal life, not because of our own efforts, because of what Jesus accomplished. And the moment a person puts their faith in Christ and him alone, once we transfer our trust off of ourselves and our good works and what we accomplish, our religiosity, and we put it on Jesus and Jesus alone, He's the giver of eternal life. In that moment of faith, we become new creations in Christ. We're given new life, a home in heaven. Jesus died for our sins, and He rose again to secure that. But that message is only part of the message. Go into all the world, preach that good news, but teach them to observe all that I have commanded. The work I do, you will do also. To proclaim the greatness of this God, who He is and what He's accomplished, and greater works you will do. Greater impact, deeper impact. Establishing the church this is how the greater works takes place. The body of Christ, firmly established in faith, spiritually strong and vibrant, living in the midst of a darkened world, the light of testimony of Christ in me, the hope of glory. The church proclaims the greatness of God, the work of Jesus, assembling people together in churches, teaching them, to observe all things. Let me give you an example of this. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Over in Ephesians, Paul is kind of describing his work as a missionary. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, he says, to me, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, to me, the very least of all the saints, the grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, and to bring to light what is the administration, the, the stewardship of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. What is that? Verse 10, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to rulers and authorities in the heavenly places in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through him in faith. What's, what, what, what is a church, a vibrant church, 
that's firmly being established and rooted and ground. What's a church called to do? Proclaim the manifold wisdom of God. Just like Jesus. The works I do, you'll do also. And greater works, further, farther, the impact of a vibrant church where believers are being deeply walked, firmly rooted in faith and are proclaiming that glory of God in the world. But then Paul continues with a prayer. Verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. For this reason, the, for the church to be proclaiming the manifold wisdom of God, to fulfill the works of Christ and greater works than these. Living out that, that spirit-controlled life, the helper who was going to come. I, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family on heaven and earth derives its name that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. There's request number one. You see it there? Paul prays, if we're going to accomplish this greater work, he says, I pray that you'll be strengthened with power in the inner man through the spirit of God. Paul is talking about making a request that believers in Jesus Christ will live extraordinary lives proclaiming an extraordinary God to a dying world through the inner strength and power that he will provide. The power of God within. He's not talking about outgoing displays of wonderful manifestations. He's talking about the inner strength that every believer in Jesus Christ can have. There's no doubt about it, we're living in distressing days. And you have an opportunity this week to talk with people from around the world. Let me tell you, you will hear stories. There, there, are, there is trouble in this world. Uh, there, are, there are broken hearts and broken lives. And many of these folks are living every day with the reality that they are hated in this world. And here in America, we are more and more experiencing that. And by the way, we have an election coming up. Do you realize that some of these folks don't have a chance to go to a poll and cast a ballot, but we do. So do the duty as a believer. But we're living in distressing days, days that God's people need inner power manifested within them through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not self-induced power, not clench my fist and grit my teeth and pull myself up by my own bootstraps and I'm going to do this for God today. Not this display of power. That's not what Paul is referring to where some wonderful disease is now miraculously healed. No, he's talking about the inner power that when your body is racked by disease, deep in your soul you're singing a song of grace and praise to him in the midst of the pain. It's not the power that calls forth people from the dead. It's the kind of power that calls forth deep down inside the renewed spirit in the midst of death. It's the kind of power that a persecuted Christian in Nigeria or some other place of the world is drawing upon and experiencing even though every day they leave their village it might be their last because of persecution. It's the kind of power that propels a, a single mom to raise her kids to somehow not speak hateful, hateful words about an absentee father, but to walk in dependent trust. It's a kind of power that brings to quiet peace in the heart of a, of a person who's just lost their spouse after 60 years of marriage. And they sing a song of God's grace and goodness in their life. It's a kind of power that when a teenager is being lured away into enticed to enjoy the entertainment that the world calls fun, that young person says no in the name of Jesus. It's a kind of power where a man is being tempted to see pornography in the night hours on his computer. He says no in the name of Jesus. The inner strength and power that when you are overlooked for, for that job promotion for the umpteenth time, you can say, Lord, 
you giveth and you taketh away, blessed be your name. You are sovereign in all this. Inner strength. This is what Paul is praying. This is what the church needs. Inner power. And why? Look at verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's talking to believers here. And it's this idea to dwell is to be at home in, where Christ is the center, is the controlling center and force. He's comfortably at home in your life because everything that you're doing is being focused upon Him. Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. There's a second request. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and, last part of verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth. And here it is. And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. To know the love of Christ. The concept here is the idea of not just head knowledge. It's the experiential knowledge. It's a realization of waking up every morning saying, I am loved by God, the eternal God. How good is that? And experiencing it. I had a conversation not long ago with a young man who's made so many mistakes in his life, turning his back on the Lord numerous times, living a mess of a life, and hearing over and over and over again the self-talk in his mind and the talk by other people, even Christians, you're a loser, you're a loser, you're a loser. You will never amount to anything as a believer. God can never use you. You're a loser. You're a loser. And then one day he was reading the scriptures and came across the truth. He is loved with an everlasting love by the eternal God. And nothing, nothing, nothing changes that. And he said for the first time in his life, he began to realize, I am indeed eternally loved by God. And he began to see a totally different perspective of himself. He saw himself at God sees him, and it began to change his life. Paul's saying, oh, I pray that you will really come to know the, the, the height, length, depth, breadth, the marvelous love of God, which is beyond knowing, experiencing it, a vital relationship with the living God, not plain religion, not just saying I'm a Christian, experiencing God. Here's his third request. You keep reading in verse 19. To know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge and that you will be filled up, and this is kind of the granddaddy prayer of it all, kind of crescendo to this final third request, that you will be filled up to all the fullness of God. See, when we're controlled by the Holy Spirit in the inner man and experiencing that strength, and Jesus is becoming at home and settled in our life, and he's the center of it. And when we begin to experience and grasp the incomprehensible love of God, and every morning we wake up knowing we're loved by God, what happens? We begin to see overflowing in our life the fullness of God. His work of himself duplicating, replicated himself in our life, overflowing in our life so that that peace we experience, the peace that passes all understanding, it's not what I generated. It's not mine. It's the peace of Jesus. It's overflowing in my life. The joy that I have, where did that come from? I can't create that. It's the joy of Jesus overflowing in my life, the fullness of God. When I experience that, that understanding of myself rightly, that humility, where did that come from? Because I'm given to pride. It's the humility of Jesus. And folks, this is the established church. Jesus said, the works I do in glorifying God, you'll do also, but you'll do greater works. The farther impact around the world as you are firmly established in your faith and this prayer that Paul is praying is being lived out in our life, people will look and they'll say, good night, where did you get that? How did that happen in your life? And you display the glory of God. It's the work of God. This is the God of love. This is not what I've done. This is what He has done in me. And the excellencies of God are being declared in the world, and that is the calling of the church. The greater works of glorifying a great God is accomplished through the greater dependence as we walk in Him. 
And folks, all this week, we get to celebrate the greater works. We get to have people come here from around the world and we hear their stories, and they're not perfect, just like they know we're not perfect. But we're together, we're a family, we're working together, and God has opened up to us an opportunity to talk with them and encourage them and hear what God is doing around the world to see that what God has allowed Fellowship Bible Church to be a part of for all these many decades is because of His kindness and grace. It's one of the most unusual missions programs I've ever seen, ever been a part of. But I want to share a little bit with you. And if you're new here at Fellowship Bible Church, for just a moment, watch the screens as we tell you how these greater works have been taking place. God's Word teaches us the eternal plan of redemption was in the heart of God from before the very beginning. Even before the foundations of the world, as soon as sin entered the earth through Adam and Eve, God gave them a promise of a deliverer. God continued to manifest this salvation plan throughout the times of the Old Testament, culminating with the birth of Jesus. He became that promised deliverer. In Acts 1.8, Christ's final command is given to be my witnesses to the end of the earth. Acts is an amazing testimony of God building His church of believers in Christ, one city at a time, all over the world. Community development, evangelism, and discipleship are all being carried out by the universal body of Christ. Because God preordained this eternal plan of redemption before the foundations of the earth, and salvation and redemption has been the center of His plans and desires for mankind ever since. Through FBC, God continues to carry out the same type of spiritual genealogy we see in the book of Acts, both around the world and within our own community. In the late 1980s and early 1990s, our global missions involvement brought us into contact with a few initial church planters and leaders on three different continents, which profoundly changed how we do missionary work. It brought us back to the roots of the Book of Acts. We partner with key leaders in their churches, train and equip them to do the work of the ministry in their own town and within their own culture. The story of the three continents begins in Africa. God led us to meet Julius Mergor in Kenya in 1986, which has led to working directly with three main pastors who are currently training pastors and church leaders of over 200 other churches. Additionally, in South Africa, God led us to partner with Fred Tempe's, which led us to Cedric and Pauline Chippendale, which led to the discipleship of college students ministering back in home locations, and then to working with Michael and Bernadette Boone, and Nandu and Debbie Lunda, and about 300 pastors in Congo. In Togo and Benin, a partnership with Pete and Carolyn Bittner led to working with 60 Lokpa pastors in their churches, Simon and Ruth Yako, and Joshua and Melissa Yakubu. These connections then led to 40 Chichewa churches in Malawi and Mozambique, equipping Nigerian missionaries working in all the African French-speaking countries, and an invitation to partner with 170 Ekwa churches in Chad. In Asia, God first connected us with James Shankar around 1985 in the northeast part of India, which has led to working with his son Reuben. Kalapahar Bible Church and an orphanage. Also in India, God brought us into partnership with Joy George, the president of Asian Christian Academy and the House of Joy Orphanage. Our ongoing connection with ACA then led us back to Africa and a connection with a man named Philip Ochin in Kenya, which led to the sprouting of his church in Migori and to the growth of his orphanage. That also led us to develop a connection with William Kisa and the Webuye Church, which helped spread even more interaction with other pastors and churches in neighboring communities. 
Asian Christian Academy also sparked another great connection into the continent of Asia. This time, it led us to an Indian man named Saji Abraham. Our relationship with Saji led to working with Hoser Bible Church and their church leaders, Hanson Manova and Augustine Arumyagam, along with the Todagiri Church, a church in Namakal, and now the beginning of working with another 30 or more pastors in a completely new area of India. A connection with Jai Pandi in the north part of India led to working with Jai's orphanage, Man Prasad Betwal in his church, Serja Tamang in his church on the Bhutan border, and Gopal Manali in his church and school in Nepal. Gopal is now in the process of planting 10 other churches and meeting monthly with 60 other Nepali pastors to equip them with the chronological teaching. In an unnamed Asian country in the north, God has led us to work with a missionary couple, as well as a man named Joseph, a national pastor who has been translating all of our chronological lessons into the local language, teaching them to 500 people in a weekly Bible study conducted online, as well as seeking to pass them along to other pastors. In Thailand, God connected us with Scott and Annette McManigal, missionaries who planted a northern Pokhoran tribal church in the village of May Pei. This church has planted four other churches, which have led many to Christ in some of the surrounding villages. They have since joined a large Baptist association of Korean churches in Thailand and have had many opportunities to help equip the pastors of some of those other churches. In Pakistan, God has brought us into contact with Peter Raka. Peter pastors a church, but also trains and equips pastors and church leaders of 21 other churches in Pakistan. The third region of our partnerships brings us to Latin America, where God first brought us into contact with Wilson Campoverde in 1991, who at the time was a professor at the Rio Grande Bible Institute. God used Wilson to bring us into partnership with Raul Santana in Mexico City, which has led to partnering with many pastors and churches through the years. Some of our key partnerships are with Fernando and Maria Navarro and their church in Chiapas, as well as Raul's son, Rafael and Mirna Santana and their church in Guadalajara. Our connection with Wilson also led to working with Oscar and Stella Garza and their church in Donna, Texas, as well as with Juan and Tirsa Delgado and their church in Cuenca, Ecuador. Juan travels the mountains of Ecuador to train and disciple over 50 Quechua pastors. Lastly, here in the U.S., God connected us with David Hawkins in Seward, Alaska, who worked with the Seward Seamen's Mission, which led us to Scott Johnson. This organization seeks to evangelize and disciple the international crew members of the cruise ships that run each summer in Alaska. We help keep the mission stocked with foundational Bible teaching lessons in many of the different languages that are spoken by such a diversity of people who come from all over the world to work as the crew on these ships. God also led us to partner with Curtis and Michelle Thompson. Michelle is the daughter of FBC members Dave and Sandy Glennie, and she and Curtis minister together at Reborn Community Church in inner city Chicago. This church is having a profound impact there in Garfield Park as God uses them to provide a manifestation of the love of Christ to people in one of the most dangerous places to live in America. It is humbling to watch God use Fellowship Bible Church to assist in the development of His global church. What an amazing privilege and blessing it is to be a part of God's ongoing eternal plan of redemption by sharing His message of grace to the world. From eternity to eternity, our God remains faithful. Folks, you get the idea of the greater works, the promise that Jesus has said, and it's all because He said, I'm going to go to the Father and I'm going to send the Helper. This is not what Fellowship Bible Church has done. God has done this. Tim McManigal, our first missions pastor, would always say and, and pray, Lord, what are you doing in the world? And, and help us to be a part of that, however you lead us. 
So I want to give you a little bit. Where are the, where are the Whitakers? Come on up here uh, quickly. We're, our time is moving. So that's right, Mark. Get up here and the <laughs> folks here. Let me give you a little bit of the picture of how this has worked, just a little slice of it. Um, Mark and Kelly Whitaker have been longtime members at Fellowship Bible Church for, like I said, longtime members. And um, they introduced us um, to Pete and Carolyn Bittner. Uh, they'd gone to Bible college and met them, and, and the Whitakers said, hey, we know these people who are working in Togo, West Africa. And so we got connected with them, and we went over there as a missions team, and Pete and Carolyn introduced us to some Lopka uh, folks, and, and Bernard and, and Adam, this is their first time here uh, with us in the United States. And uh, so... And... And, and then our team went over there and began to train, and I'll let Scott McManigal condense it and sure. take it from here. Yeah. So as our missions team would began to visit Pete and Carolyn in uh, Togo, they originally went to reach a Muslim people group there in Togo. And uh, shortly after arriving there, uh, a, a group of already existing pastors of churches uh, among the Lokba group uh, contacted Pete and asked him to begin meeting with them to train and disciple them. And, uh, and so Pete started to do that. And then as we would continue to make trips over there, we would partner with Pete in the uh, teaching, training, discipling of the Lokba pastors. Um, also at that same time, there's a large organization of churches in Nigeria called Equa that they have currently have 10,000 churches, like 10 million members. They've sent out uh, 2,000 missionaries across Africa and Europe, and they've also, in the last year and a half, have started a, a TV station that's being aired in 116 different countries and over 15 million viewers called Equa TV. And they had sent a, a young missionary couple, Simon and Ruth Yako, to Lome, uh, the capital city of Togo, to uh, pastor a church there. So as we would make trips over and meet with Pete and the Lokba, Simon and Ruth would would also join us. <clears throat> and then after 12 years or so of them ministering in Togo, the uh, Equa headquarters um, recognized that Simon had such an amazing wife that they <laughs> decided to take him back to Nigeria to uh, oversee uh, to oversee all of their missions uh, ministries that are going on. And then they sent Joshua and Melissa Yakubu to take their place in Lome. And, and then the same thing kind of happened with Joshua and Melissa that as we would go and partner with Pete and work meeting with the Lokba, Joshua and Melissa would, would join that. Um, and then the Equa headquarters recognized what an amazing wife Joshua had. And so they <laughs> took them back to Nigeria. <clears throat> Joshua is, has responsibility over all the Francophone African countries, and uh, July 2018 invited Jim and I to go and, and uh, do a, a foundational or a uh, Creation of Christ uh, conference for their French-speaking missionaries who are working in nine different uh, French-speaking African countries. And one of those leaders that came was, is a key leader that's over 170 Equa churches in Chad. He's invited us to, to begin that same process of going to Chad and working with, with those leaders there. On one of our past trips to Togo back in 20, 2013, uh, Simon and Ruth met us in Togo and invited us to consider begin working with a group of 40 Chichewa churches in Malawi and Mozambique. And so we, we began that process in uh, 2014 and have continued on. And actually, Jim Poole will be going uh, to, to meet with those pastors again the beginning of December. Joshua has also been, uh, through Equa TV, uh, teaching our Knowing God lessons and, uh, and, uh, and during this last year. And they're actually airing his teaching of those lessons twice a week. And so that's going out to those 116 different countries and over 15 uh, million viewers. And we're actually going to hear more about that next week. So um, God just continues to grow and expand and lead us to where he wants us to work. And this is just a, one piece of the, of the movement of God around the world. We don't even have time to tell you about Latin America 
and what God has done over the years, and India. And, what, but, and I want to invite all you guests with us uh, this morning, all you international guests. Would you join us up on stage? Because again, this is just a little bit of what God has graciously allowed us to be a part of in the greater work that He's called us to do in this day and age in which we live. And, and as they come, you sometimes wonder, Lord, um, can this be sustained? Can, can this continue? How can this continue, Father? What you've done over these last 30 years, how can this continue? And I want to share this final verse from that passage in Ephesians 3. You know it, Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think, to do it according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever, amen. You see, what we're a part of, you get a little piece of what heaven's going to be like as we all together will rejoice what God has done, the greater works that he has promised, not because of what we have cleverly figured out, but because he has graciously opened doors and we've just, by faith, will walk through those. That's why we have two full-time missions pastors, by the way, too, that God has allowed us to have. And the resources that you have provided. Fellowship Bible Church, as we're established in His grace, and as we're learning more and more what it means to walk by faith, God will continue to use us as we're strengthened with power in the inner man. As we come to understand more and more increasingly how loved we are by God, and we can't help it but de declare that and out of the fullness of Him working in our life, it continues to spread around the world. This is the work of God. This weekend marks the 30th anniversary that Lisa and I came here to candidate at Fellowship Bible Church. 30 years ago, we got on a plane, flew from Nebraska, came to this little church. Who would have imagined? Who would have imagined what God has done? To Him be the glory. And so I, I just encourage you to participate this week. Come play some soccer on Tuesday night. Come uh, do a light up, the, light up the night on Thursday night. Come to the family night on Friday. Talk with these folks and celebrate what God has done to fulfill His promise. Jesus said, the works I do, you'll do too. You'll do greater works because I'm going to go to the Father, but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. For 2,000 years, those greater works have been done. And by His grace, He's given us a little bit of that peace here at Fellowship Bible Church. Would you stand with me? And we're going to close in prayer. And then we're going to sing our praise to Him. Father, thank You so much. Thank You so much for allowing us this privilege. And as we continue throughout this week, stir our hearts, Father, for greater affections for You, to lift up our, our voices in praise, to show our love and affection for these friends of ours who have so graciously come Father, use this in our lives in a great way and for your glory. And all God's people sang, ready? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above in heavenly hosts. Praise Amen. We'll see you throughout the week. You're dismissed. Have a great weekend.